Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 1067. Listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Airing on Facebook as well on Radio Alabama Sports, Fox Sports Central Alabama at ESPN 106.7 Facebook pages. That's how you can watch the show on air, online, and on the go. Welcome into the Thursday edition of On the Line. Levi, how you doing today, buddy? Doing good, doing good. It's got a little cold outside. Not a big fan of that. I woke up a little chilly this morning in the this. house. I, t- I told you there was a cold front coming in. It was about to get a little little chilly down here. It looks beautiful outside. It's a little bit misleading. You look outside and you think, Man, this is a good day to just go spend outdoors, get some sun, and then it kind of it tricks you a little bit, but it is warming up a little bit throughout the day. I think it was 57 when I left my house. Cold for an April day in Alabama. I'll tell you, Scott Bagwell and I talked about this on last night's baseball broadcast in Auburn High School handling business last night against Central Phoenix City to move on to a doubleheader today against Central Phoenix City. If Auburn wins today, they sweep the area and they win the area championship if they can take down Central at their place tonight. It's essentially an area championship game. If they lose game one, game two doesn't even matter. It's the tiebreaker game. Auburn's already done enough to punch their ticket to the postseason. This game is for all the marbles tonight. But we were talking last night about the weather because not only was the wind blowing towards home plate it wasn't blowing out towards the outfield once the wind died down it was colder and that affects a baseball game because the ball just doesn't jump out of the box like it normally does when it's hot this time of year it affects some high school baseball games that are getting towards the end of their regular seasons and you're trying to decide who's going to the postseason who wins your areas the weather we might just be saying that as small little chit chat here but it actually does affect the the ball games that are happening yeah out there. It, it definitely impacts what happens like you said whenever it gets colder it the bats aren't as hot like i mean that's just you know pun intended it it stops the ball from traveling like it should especially even at the beginning of the game like you said when the wind's blowing towards home plate the wind's gonna affect it a little bit then when it gets colder it's not popping off the bat like you'd like to see it especially this time of year because typically it's pretty warm. This it's warm in April in Alabama, so it's not something that we're normally worried about. But hey, you got a good a good one tonight, you know, for Auburn. That's going to be really, really fantastic to see. So phone lines are open three three four three two one thirteen ninety is the number to call. That's what can get you through to on the line coming up at two thirty. We'll have Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer join us on the phone lines. Get some of his thoughts, some news breaking a few hours before we went on the air around noon today. Trey Alexander, that's when that hit the news cycle. Trey Alexander reopening his recruitment. He didn't say decommitting, but that's essentially what that means. Trey Alexander, after all, will not be enrolling with the Auburn basketball program. It came as a shock to me. I started to digest it a little bit with my lunch. And I wonder, and I said this yesterday, yesterday I said on the show, 
that if Thor comes back, Auburn's at the scholarship limit, right? Which means that Scoot Henderson won't be reclassified with this Auburn basketball team. I wonder if this opens the door for Scoot Henderson. I mean, it can, and it's one of the. It, it initially, it's a little bit shocking, like you said. It was it, you were you're kind of surprised by it. You saw this, and you're like, oh, wasn't expecting that. Then you look, you know, deeper. A lot like we said yesterday, a lot of mouths to feed around that guard the position. The title of our podcast yesterday. Yeah, I mean, that's what it is. It's Difficult a lot. backcourt decisions. It's like, what are Not you going to do? It, may, it, it makes sense from Trey Alexander's perspective. If you're When you went into this situation, when you committed to Auburn, Zeb Jasper wasn't there. Wendell Green wasn't there. You, don't, you didn't have Desi Sills there. There were a lot of guys that are now here yep. that are eating away at what Trey Alexander perceived were his minutes. So he's fighting for just those guys that weren't those were the guys that just weren't there to begin with, and that's not talking about players that are already on this team where you have Flanagan who probably will play a little bit of two this year as well, you know, some wing position, probably take away from Trey Alexander. Well, look so. at all those guys that are capable of playing the two or the three. Anybody that is on this Auburn basketball roster is capable, if they're a shooting guard, for the most part, they're capable of as, uh, they're, they're capable of playing the three as well. You look at Alan Flanagan, he can do it. Devin Cambridge can do it Desi Sills I think is pretty I think staunchly a two guard possibly if anything if he's going to move to another position he could handle the basketball as well it'd be one more than three for him Zep Jasper maybe could play out on the wing I think he's more of a I think he's more of a combination between a one and a two so you're looking at wing players for Auburn at the moment Alan Flanagan and Devin Cambridge after that Auburn does I, I think you could make the argument that Auburn needs another wing am I leaving anybody off not that I can think of that would be substantially, you know, benefiting this Auburn roster or, you know, with playing time. Like, I don't think there's another guy that you look at and see from a two or a three position that you that jumps off. I think those are the two guys. And it hurts Auburn to not have a guy like Trey Alexander who can come in and do this at this moment. So I'm going to see what's going to happen with this. It does open up that other scholarship option if JT Thor decides to come back because I mean, we just said it earlier. Right now, there are two spots open yeah, with JT with, Thor yeah, still in the two. NBA draft process. So this, once again, I, I thought that recruitment was about to die down for Auburn. And now it's just it's Now right it back. might be about to ramp back up. Auburn has the ability now to go and grab another player out there. I throw out this name. The last I checked, I don't believe Auburn had contacted him yet. Went and looked for some articles, maybe seeing who had contacted Mac McClung. But yes, Mac McClung was recruited relatively heavily by Auburn last offseason. Mac McClung plays the wing. He's more of a two slash three rather than a one slash two in my mind, even though he wants to play the one or wants to improve his ability to distribute the basketball in order to make it to the next level. I think that was more of what he was seeking and going to, to Texas Tech, but I see him more of a ball dominant shooting guard than anything. I don't know. He's out there. He's in the transfer portal. Still in the NBA draft process, Matt McClung is. So he's in both. He's yeah. ba- basically all he said was, I'm not going back to Texas Tech. That's crazy. I mean, it's, it's wild to see that he just went to Texas Tech and then, you know, bounced again. But uh, Loses his head coach. Things really sense. didn't work out that well at Texas Tech either. I mean, he played he played pretty well, but, like, it just wasn't – it it didn't work out well. I, I mean, always thought it was a strange combination for him to go – to Texas Tech with the, his play yeah, style, it, though. You'd think you want to be a little bit more free reign. Texas Tech, one of the slower teams in the country, one of the more structured 
teams in the country. I thought he would he would want to go to a place more like Auburn or Arkansas. That's why it, then it, he would want to go to Texas Tech. It baffled me when he chose Texas Tech over you know like like a team like Auburn because he his play style what he did fit more what Auburn wanted to do. Like a Chris Beard team is going to be slower. It's going to be more defensive. I mean, you saw it in the national championship game a few years ago where you had Texas Tech versus Virginia and one of the slower pace national championships you're ever going to see it's just more slow more defensive doesn't really seem like that's what Matt McClung wants to do it makes more sense like you said in Arkansas at an Auburn a team that's just going to let you shoot or an LSU type of team where you have the green light to kind of go down and shoot whenever you want to but I don't think Auburn's contacted him I don't think Auburn's looking to go in that direction and with the way that he plays and what he's looking to do I don't think he fits at Auburn anyway not this at the like, moment. Not this year with the amount of talent that they have on this team. He needs to like I think Matt McClung benefits more for going somewhere where he can be the guy. He can be the guy. Like, I think that's that fits his place. Auburn's style more. already got their ball dominant guard and Wendell Green Jr. Yes. That's it. That's yeah, it. You don't it just doesn't make sense. They not don't that, need another one. Not that Matt McClung's not talented because I like I've been enamored with this kid since high school. I've, I was watching his he's highlights. He's so fun to watch. He, yeah, he's amazing to watch. And I was if he signed with I'm Auburn, I'm for the guy. I hope he makes it to the NBA. I would love to see him at Auburn. I just don't think that it, he would get as much playing time as he would get somewhere else. And like I said, I'm rooting. You're, I'm rooting for him. You're rooting for him. I want him to go somewhere he where he can shine. He does flashy dunks yeah. in, in, in games. I love it. He he he's one of few players that you'll see actually go and do like a reverse dunk in the span of an actual basketball game. He, he's he's fun to watch because he's a flashy player, but. I don't think it would. I don't think it would work at Auburn. I've I've seen him on social media a few times. His name crop up for Auburn folks want to see if he would want to come to the Plains to possibly replace Trey Alexander. But I think this, if anything, means Auburn needs a winger now more than anything. They've got point guard shored up pretty well. They 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 really. I I don't think that this is a huge hit to Auburn or anything from a depth perspective. I, I don't I don't think this hurts Auburn. But if you're going to go and hit the scholarship limit again and you're going to go and fill up your roster I think the area that you go is a wing position a guy that can do what Trey Alexander was going to offer you because now what you've got left and I'm trying to run through this in my mind at the moment but now what you've got left you've got Wendell Green Jr. who signed with Auburn today Zepp Jasper who signed with Auburn yesterday those two guys primarily your point guards at the moment you've also got Alan Flanagan you've got Devin Cambridge Keep walking me through this. It's hard to think of off the top of my head at the moment. So um, you have, what, Alan Flanagan, Devin Cambridge. You have your two guards with Window Green Jr. You have Zeb Jasper. I'm drawing a blank on who I'm missing right here. I feel like I'm missing Desi someone. Sills Desi Sills Sills. There we go. That's the guy that uh, who just announced yesterday. And then you have a ton Auburn. of front court players. Yeah, then you have you know your Dylan Cardwells, Jake Thor if he comes back, Jabari Smith, uh, Jalen Williams, guys like that who are going to be down Walker there. Kessler. Walker Kessler. Walker Kessler, another big guy that we, you know, that Auburn went out and got. I would say that if you're going out and looking at the transfer portal to try to fill out a scholarship, I would like to see someone more along that two three line. Like someone who can do a two who could play the two, who could play the three. Like I think that's what um I think that's what this team would look forward to more. Unless, I mean, if Scooter Henderson ends up reclassifying and coming into this class, I mean you're gonna take that guy for sure. Like you would love to have him and JT Thor come back. Like that would that be, could open the door. Yeah, I mean, it, the, losing the scholarship. Yeah, it could open the door for that. I guess. I mean, if if he comes, if that guy reclassifies, that's the one you want. 
if he's not reclassifying, you want to go out and try to get somebody, and you might end up getting two people. I mean, me and you are kind of. I keep I I lean more towards the fact that JT Thor is coming back, but the longer it takes, the more it feels like he's going to end up staying. Auburn might could get two more scholarship players out of this, but it, it, I think it's, it's too early pre- to predict at the moment. It's, Obviously, it's, the name that the, the last name out there that Auburn has been linked to that's still out there that has not committed to Auburn that Auburn has not gotten yet because Auburn has gotten who they've wanted to get so far. Right? They have not. They have not missed on players that they they that were lower on their total pool. Right? Like they went and got who they wanted. They got Walker Kessler, so they miss on Noah Gurley, right, at Furman. They wanted the guards that they brought in with Zepp Jasper and Wendell Green Jr. They wanted Desi Sills. They went and got the guards that they wanted. They wanted those guards more than they wanted Xavier Pinson. They went and got who they wanted out of that backcourt. And now the last guy that's out there is Scoot Henderson. So I'm hoping I'm hoping the trend continues and they keep getting the guy that the guys that they want. Like I'm hoping that they get I hope, you know, that Scooter Henderson, if he does reclassify, you know, like you're getting him at Auburn, he comes in and you're good to go. Comparing Auburn basketball's new additions now to what Auburn lost, we set this conversation up for our show today. We talked about this briefly yesterday. It looks like Auburn's improved in a lot of positions. The news today about Trey Alexander, definitely an intriguing, an intriguing bit of news on Auburn's recruiting front because I think this revamps it a little bit. I, I, I wondered how they were going to find a way to fit Scoot Henderson onto this. but And we talked yesterday, too, about who does the Desi Sills news affect more uh, on this roster? Does it affect guys like Zeb Jasper and, and um, you know, Devin Cambridge? Among those guys, who does it affect more? You know, we also were talking about Trey Alexander. And I said I thought that Devin Cambridge would see a minute's dip. Well... We got our answer today. Yeah, we got the answer. It was Trey Alexander was the one who it impacted the most because now he's reopened his recruiting and looks to be going elsewhere. We'll keep talking Auburn basketball throughout the show today. We got Justin Ferguson coming up at 2.30 here on All the Live. When we come back, we'll rank our top three springs in the SEC. Stay tuned here on On the Line. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. We'll be right back. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama, also airing on Facebook on ESPN 106.7, Fox Sports Central Alabama and Radio Alabama Sports Facebook pages. That's how you can watch the show. Keep up with all of the content the show is putting out on RadioAlabamaSports.net. And on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page, follow it on Twitter as well, at Radio AL Sports. Between collegiate and high school sports content, we've got you covered. Once again, that's RadioAlabamaSports.net. Tease this coming into the segment, ranking our top three springs in the SEC. We started on this topic yesterday, and we didn't finish. We just didn't get to do it enough justice. So I wanted to spend a large portion of today's show going really in-depth about which teams in the SEC had the best, which football programs in the SEC had the best springs in terms of improvement and preparing themselves for the next football season. You took it from a little bit of a different perspective than I yesterday, and I'm glad you did because I like your perspective better. 
Well, it gives us a chance to talk about two different things. I mean, you got to talk about who you think is probably the better teams coming out of spring. I talked about what teams that I liked in terms of just the spring, what they did over the spring that, you know, I think I liked. I liked that the moves they, they improved. made. Yeah, that they improved. You took it from an improvement and development perspective. I said which teams looked the best. And then I tried to combine that as well also, though, with what they may have done in the transfer portal in terms of additions to improve what they already had on the roster. So there's definitely some influence of that on both sides of this. But I definitely like – because I like your perspective because it it brought up some different answers that maybe some folks aren't thinking about. But we'll start with our honorable mentions here because you and I had the same honorable mention. Kentucky at fourth on our list, on this list of top three – sec springs are really just top four here but kentucky and it's, and it's, it's, on this it's, list. it's a little unfair because some of them haven't played yet like the grove bowls this weekend Ole miss hasn't played i mean i would like to assume that i think Ole miss comes out of spring looking pretty you know pretty good like i mean i think like lane's get i think lane kiffin's got that offense rolling i think you'll like them after this weekend um but yeah kentucky they did a lot they added a lot of guys to the transfer portal they're close they're closer to alabama and georgia Stop that. According to Bob Stoops. Not Bob Stoops. Mark Stoops. Some people out there may not have heard that quote. They probably thought you were crazy for saying that. That's because I, had, I that's thought why, Stoops was crazy for saying that. That's why I had to say according to Stoops. According to their head coach, they're closer. Which uh, I, I was think, like, read the room, man. I think we both, I think uh, most people can assume that that's not true. But they are closer than South Carolina. They are closer than that. You know, you're, you're good. You're closer than Vanderbilt is to them. You know, Terry Wilson transferred out of the program to go to New Mexico. He's a Lobo this upcoming year. I find that interesting because Terry Wilson's the best quarterback on the roster. And now it's Joey Gatewood joined by guys like Will Levis, Nick Scalzo. Those guys transfers. They've got receivers to throw to. Wandell Robinson, four-star recruit out of high school that started his career at Nebraska he's transferring to Kentucky alongside also Big Ten wide receiver at Michigan State Trayvon Morgan a former three-star prospect and a relatively high three-star prospect as well and Trayvon Morgan once again the Michigan State prospect transferring to Kentucky on the defensive side of the ball more Big Ten and ACC prospects transferring into Kentucky Justice Dingle a three-star strong side defensive end out of Georgia Tech, headed to the Wildcats at linebacker Luke Fulton from Michigan State, a former three-star prospect and a high three-star prospect at that. And that's the group there of guys transferring into Kentucky this upcoming year. I liked the work they did in the transfer portal, namely a guy like Wandell Robinson, one of the top wide receivers in the country to move locations, and Kentucky was able to get him Talk about a team that if you've watched them the last couple of years with Terry Wilson and Joey Gatewood at quarterback, they need all the help they can get in throwing the football because they struggle at that area of their offensive game. They've got a five foot nine, 175 pound receiver who reminds me a little bit of Rondell Moore at Purdue and a, and a little bit of a do it all wide receiver at five foot nine, someone that can play with the ball in his hands and can create his own space he's shiftier five foot nine once again 175 there's some speed with that it's going to help out this Kentucky receiving core and it's going to help out these Kentucky quarterbacks and you wonder who's going to start at quarterback for Kentucky next year because you got Penn State transfer Will Levis coming into the program as well 
and he's immediately eligible and I would assume to be competing with Joey Gatewood and then Nick Scalzo as well so there's some dual threat quarterbacks in the program there's also a pro style quarterback in the program and Will Levis there's a little bit of different things that this Kentucky team can do I'm curious who will end up starting for the Wildcats I feel like they end up going with Joey Gatewood but I could be wrong on that it just seems like he fits what I've seen Kentucky do it quarterback for the past you know, few seasons. You've typically seen them have the guys who are a little bit more mobile, probably lacking a little bit in the throwing department, and that's just kind of – it just seems that that's what Kentucky has done. But, I mean, they might, they, might make a change. they might make a change. You might see Will Levis come in and play a different style of offense. But Kentucky has not had issues running the football. It's been throwing the football. They've had guys like Benny Snell that have come in and been able to run the football very well in the SEC. So you want to see, can they take a step forward at the quarterback position? And that's where not having a spring game hurts me in my rankings with Kentucky and you know, really being able to gauge them because, yes, they improved. They got a lot of transfers. I like what they did in that department. But where are they sitting at with quarterback? We don't really even have an inkling of that because we didn't see it in an inter-scrimmage game. Also forget about... A guy that's been on the roster at Kentucky now. He was a three-star recruit, the number 18 pro-style quarterback coming out of high school. He's at Kentucky. His name is Bo Allen. He was another guy that was considered to be Joey Gatewood's primary running mate for the starting quarterback position, but now also Levis really getting into the mix. They've got their pick of that though at least I see, I look at the quarterback controversy at LSU and the Kentucky quarterback controversy here and I see them to be in similar situations but I almost get the vibe that like the quarterback that comes out at Kentucky Kentucky's more confident in than what LSU might be confident in maybe I'm just so down on what LSU's done on that side of the football with those four quarterbacks that they've got in that room but when I look at what Kentucky's got and I see the guys, and I see the schools that they've transferred from. With Levis coming from Penn State, which has a good history at the quarterback position over the last couple of years. Just look at Trace McSorley and now Clifford there at the moment, which I think they're still looking for Clifford to improve. But I don't think he's been abysmal. I think he's one of the better things about their offense. He's, yeah, he was one of the better things about their offense last year. I mean, which you expect that so they've lost a lot. They, Penn State lost a lot of skill position talent over the past few years and few seasons. So. But yeah, he's he's been Penn State. Typically, you have good quarterbacks coming into that program. And if a freshman beats out Joey Gatewood, or well, he's not a freshman anymore, but he really didn't play. He was a freshman last year. He's a sophomore now. He's class of 2020 quarterback. But if he beats out Joey Gatewood, then you're like, oh, he was better than Joey Gatewood, you know, because Joey Gatewood is somewhat the incumbent, you know. You're kind of expecting has, him to be the guy. He has some starter time at Kentucky, even though it was mainly Terry Wilson's job. I don't know who I'm leaning towards here. Levis makes this an interesting quarterback competition at Kentucky. We're not going to spend too much time talking about what's going on at Kentucky, but I think the point of this is in us ranking our top three springs in the SEC, Kentucky brought in an influx of talent through the transfer portal that instantly makes them a competitor in the top half of the SEC East next year, which they were not that way this past year. This was this past season in 2020 was a down year for Kentucky. They finished the season on a bright note, won their last two games, won their bowl game, got to five and six. There are some analysts out there talking about Kentucky in a way where they could finish ahead of Florida and finish second in the East. I think there's a massive gap between Georgia and everyone else right now in the SEC East, but Kentucky's very much so a lot. Kentucky's a lot closer to Florida than Florida and Kentucky are a lot closer to each other than those two are closer to Georgia. 
I would say that at the moment. They're a lot closer to each other, Florida and Kentucky are, than they are typically most years, especially within the past few years, as it seems That's another right great now. addition to that, yeah. Like, you're, like, they're closer to each other than they usually are, and that could also change. We talk, we hit on it yesterday. Emory Jones could come out and wow us throwing the – you know, he could come out throwing the football and wow us, and then you're thinking of Florida as being closer to Georgia. And I think Florida's team kind of depends on what Emory Jones does – because if he comes out and makes improvements throwing the football, this team can at least compete with Georgia because you know the talent's there, the coaching's there. But if they're more one-dimensional with him where he can't throw the football very well and he's more or less just a running quarterback still, then you're looking at them being closer towards Kentucky and what Kentucky does. I'm not certain that Emory Jones is just going to come out and wow us. Who's your number three? I see. I had Arkansas at three because I like what they did. They I came out of watching that spring game, knowing they have a quarterback that they feel comfortable in, and K.J. Jefferson, who looked good. He looked really good. I think at the half, he had had two touchdowns, uh, probably around 190-something yards, I believe. I scrolled down too far on my my stat sheet now. I can't find it. But (laughs) he was was playing very well. And you have a guy like Traylon Burks, former four-star recruit, 6'2", you know, a body, an NFL body type of guy. He's a guy that you could see. We talked about it yesterday with – how we were talking about Seth Williams, you know, and him. He could be like a fourth, a fourth, fifth round type of receiver coming into the NFL. So you have an NFL type receiver. You know who your quarterback is. Mike Woods is no slouch either on the outside throwing the football to him. They did lose Rockin' Boyd, so I am interested in seeing how they do, how they move forward with the running back position. That's one that's gonna it's gonna be it's a little weary about Arkansas, but it typically Arkansas just churns out running backs, so you don't worry about that too much. It feels like every year. They're going to put somebody in there who does very well. But when you come out of spring and you know who your quarterback is, you're going to climb up a little bit for me. I thought Arkansas was a couple bad breaks away from having a much better season. And I'm not saying that this Arkansas— Bad breaks is in losing to LSU and also losing to Missouri late in the season. That was Two teams they probably yes, should have beat. Like just games that you need to win. And that's— I'm not. I'm not sitting here saying that Arkansas is going to get over that and be able to do that. We probably view Arkansas vastly different heading into the season if they yeah. win those two games because the way I view Arkansas at the moment is four and eight, three and nine heading and, into this year. And I'm not saying that they're going to improve drastically. I'm just saying coming out of spring, I like what I see out of them. I like that they have a quarterback. They have a good guy to throw it to. I'd like to see a little bit of running back help. Not sure what's going on there, but. K.J. Jefferson, I think, is going to be a good quarterback in the SEC. Doesn't help Arkansas that they have to play Georgia and Texas in addition to their SEC West counterparts. Toughest toughest schedule in the country, according to FBI. I would agree with that. Yesterday, I didn't. I thought about it a little bit more. We'll be back with more of On the Line on the other side of this break. we got Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer joining us. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater at ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. As promised, we got Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer on our phone lines. Justin, how you doing today, my man? I'm doing well. How are y'all? We're doing great. We appreciate you hopping on the line with us here for this Thursday afternoon edition of the show. Talking a little Auburn football here with you. Wrapping up the spring, what is something in your mind that you felt like, just looking at the spring as a whole, and including A-Day as well. What's something that you felt like Auburn did particularly well? Yeah, I think the defense, uh, these guys adapting to this new 
scheme uh, pretty quickly. I mean, if you watch the eight day game, you, you would have thought that all been in that type of defense for a long time, uh, just with all the different types of fronts and the different types of blitzes and coverages they were using. That first-team defense looked really strong. And it wasn't just the fact that they were playing the second-team defense, but they're very sound and really have very many busts. Um, guys were where they were supposed to be. And so I think they've done a really good job on the defensive end getting that unit ready in, in this scheme because it is pretty different than what we've seen uh, Auburn run over the last really 15, 20 years, uh, to, be, to be quite honest. Um, so I mean, I, I think that's a that's a really encouraging sign for for Auburn is that that defense looks really really plugged into that to that scheme, and um, I think that's a testament to uh, Derek Mason, uh, uh, his his assistance on the defensive side of the ball, and also just the talent Auburn brought back on defense. They've got some veterans, and they've got some really talented guys that I think are going to thrive in this new system. On the flip side of that, what is something that you feel like Auburn didn't do particularly well? I think they were just kind of held back on the, at the wide receiver position this spring just because of the injuries and the inexperience and the absences. Every time we heard about the wide receivers, it was like, yeah, you know, we just got to be more consistent over there. We got to be more, more consistent. We got to get some progress going. And, you know, Xavier Capers, you know, still, be, still being banged up, um, you know, over, you know, recovering from the surgery after the. Uh, after his injury he had in the Citrus Bowl was one thing. Cedric Jackson not being hundred uh, percent. JJ Evans going down with an injury during during camp piled up on him a little bit. And so the wide receiver group. I mean, they, there's flashes. Everybody knows that Javarius Johnson was was one of the top names of of spring practice. Um, you know, Elijah Canyon had a great eight day game. Uh, Kobe Hudson stepping up as a leader. But like that unit as a whole, I think didn't make quite as much progress as maybe they would have wanted. Uh, too, and I think it just had to do with the fact that there's a lot of inexperience there, a lot of newness on, on, in the offense, and just the injuries kind of held them back a little bit. It's a little bit out of your wheelhouse, but we've been talking about ranking. We've been ranking our springs in the SEC. Do you have anybody else in the SEC that really kind of impressed you? Maybe outside of Alabama and Georgia, obviously they were pro, they were probably the more impressive ones. Anybody impress you in the spring in the SEC? You know, I I think Alabama and Georgia have been the ones I've heard about the most. I know Tennessee's wrapping up this weekend. I'd be very interested to hear kind of what's going on uh, over there uh, specifically. But, you know, I, I mean, I think the big thing outside of Alabama, I mean, well, I have to include Alabama and Georgia, is just, you know, the, the hype that seems to be around JT Daniels at Georgia. Um, you know, he is, uh, you know, I think he's a, he's a really good player. And um, Georgia fans have been waiting to, see that offense take the next sound like he had a good spring game um but you know elsewhere i haven't heard a ton to be honest i haven't really been paying a close close attention to what's going on elsewhere but you hear a lot about alabama you hear a lot about georgia and, and i'm going to be just very interested in hearing what you know what comes out of you know the end of tennessee camp because they are doing things kind of like auburn they're doing things completely differently now and uh they've had they've had quite a quite a lot of overhaul this offseason Moving over to the basketball side of things, we got news today that Trey Alexander, amongst the two guards that signed with Auburn officially, Zepp, Jasper, and Wendell Green Jr., you also lose a guy that was expected to be enrolling at Auburn next season. Trey Alexander making the decision to not enroll at Auburn. How does this affect things in the backcourt for Auburn moving forward? Well, I mean, Auburn went out and got two really good two guards with experience in Zap Jasper and Desi Sills, who committed earlier this week. So it's not a stunner that, you know, Trey Alexander might look at the situation and Auburn be like, you know what, I might not be getting the role of the playing time 
that I thought I was going to be getting uh, when I first signed with Auburn. You know, and there's been so much overhaul that's happened and change that's happened since he signed with Auburn back in November. So, I, you know, it's not that surprising to me. Um, I thought, you know, he he was going to be a part of it. And I thought he was a guy who had a chance to start, but. You know, I, the one thing to keep in mind is there are 300 and something Division One basketball teams. There's going to be plenty of opportunities for Alexander to find a place where he's, he might get the role that he thinks he should be getting out of high school. So uh, I think here for Auburn moving forward, is, it's going to be fascinating to see what they do. You know, Trey Alexander, I think the loss you get from Alexander is like, yeah, you've got Desi Sills, you got Zepp Jasper, uh, you still have a guy in Devin Cambridge who can give you really good minutes uh, out there on wing. Of course, Alan playing and uh, being the guy coming back this year and locked in uh, his best fit as a small forward spot. My thing for Auburn is where Trey Alexander fit in. A little bit taller than these guys and and, and looked like, coming out of high school, uh, Auburn's best chance at having that kind of like dead-eye three-point shooter. Um, we've seen Desi Sills get hot in the past. We've seen Zeb Chasper get hot in the past and Wendell Green. And you know, we know Devin Cambridge has that ability and, and – thing about that backcourt is I think Auburn with an extra scholarship spot now opened up if they can find a guard maybe a little bit on the bigger end uh, maybe one that is a really good three-point shooter with some experience coming out of high school I mean coming out of college in the portal um, you know I think that would be something they could go do and also it could open up the door that if they want any of these late deciding high schoolers um, you know they've got a little bit more freedom to kind of pull the trigger on those guys. Speaking with Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer, would you include Scoot Henderson among some of those late deciding high school players that I know, although he's a junior, it's been talked about a lot. The guy could reclassify. Does this reopen the door for that? Yeah, I think it does. I mean, even if, you know, even if, uh, uh, you know, Alexander would have stayed put, I think Scoot Alexander, I mean, I think Scoot Henderson would have been an option to reclassify. But I mean, the thing about the reclassification talk with Scoot is a lot of it has been speculation. You know, when he has been asked on the record about it, he said, you know what, I haven't given a ton of thought to it, but I think that's going to be something that kind of comes in uh, to play here over the next couple months. He wants to go ahead and make that decision. Um, You know, once school starts wrapping up uh, and starting looking ahead, if, you know, if if Scoot Anderson wanted to reclassify and if Auburn would would, uh, wanted to, to get him um, and bring him in now, I think it would be a really big hit because, you know, Scoot is a good point guard. He's a great outstanding point guard. Um, but you could see some two-guard versatility in him. And even though you've got Wendell Green Jr. and you've got a guy in Zeb Jasper who can be a one at times for you, um, you know, you can't turn down a playmaker like that. And I think he would give you some of that scoring help at the end of the backcourt that you would want right away. It would just be, you know, pretty big curve immediately for him. Um you know, being a guy to reclassify and come in. But we saw JT Thor do the exact same thing and be a, re- a really, really good player immediately for Auburn. So um, I-, I think Scoot would be in the mix there. It's just it's going to come down to whether he wants to reclassify or not. You know, there's a really good chance he just stays in just stays in, and Auburn really concentrates on bringing him in as the, as the centerpiece of the 2022 class. Way too early projections don't mean a thing, but it is fun to talk about. And Joe Lenardi put out his way too early projections. It had Auburn as an eight seed, unfortunately playing Virginia. I guess there's some vendetta there, but uh, they they did have Auburn as an eight seed in those early projections. Where do you see this team at with the talent on the roster at the moment? Because I I've, I've been saying for a little while that 
despite the fact that you know the roster's loaded I still have a hard time believing that AP voters are going to have this team as a top 15 team to start the year yeah they're not they're not because like you would have to kind of bank a lot of that on upside and that's what we get in college basketball a lot but you know the teams are going to be highly ranked and the preseason polls are going to be the ones that are returning a ton of experience which Auburn's not going to this year they're going to return a good bit but not not a ton um and then or if you're like Kentucky where honestly you just pull up the pull up the recruiting rankings and say oh well they signed this many five stars this team signed this many five stars they're definitely going to be pretty high up there I think Auburn's in that kind of middle ground where they return some really good players like Devin Cambridge like of course Alan Flanagan Jalen Williams uh back in as well some some reserves you add some really high-value transfers. Everybody knows Jabari Smith is really good, but he might be the only one from this, this 2021 class when it's all said and done uh, for Auburn. You know Walker Kessler is good, but people will look at him and be like, oh, well, he didn't play a ton at uh, North Carolina. And so you have to kind of really dig in and be invested in kind of knowing the ins and outs of this roster to, to buy into the hype. So, yeah, I think projection-wise, I think this is going to be a team that will be you know, ranked I think you could say they'd be ranked for most of the season. Uh, And then they're going to be in the mix, I think, um, when you look at the way the rosters have been building out across the SEC right now. I think they're going to be in the mix for where you want to be year in and year out in the SEC, and that's have an opportunity to be in the top four. When you're in the top four, you've got a really good chance of winning the regular season title. You get that coveted double bye uh, in Nashville for the SEC tournament. And it puts yourself in a really good position to get a great seed in the NCAA tournament. So I think Auburn's got the talent to be right there. Um, and we know that, you know, Trey Alexander's departure changes some things, but now it gives them some opportunities to maybe add another piece uh, to the puzzle here. And it might be a guy that could give you some upgrade in terms of experience or kind of what he brings to the table. Justin, I appreciate you hopping on the show to talk with us today. Tell everybody where they can find your stuff and how they can subscribe. Yeah, AuburnObserver.com is where you can get everything we've got going on. Uh, Auburn football and men's basketball analysis there. Uh, this week, I mean, we put up a story on a uh, breakdown of everything Auburn's going to get in, in, out of Desi Sills. Uh, so that'll be a, that, that's a story that I think a lot of people want to check out. Uh, we did a film room on offense and defense, uh, one of each from the 8A game. Got the mailbag coming up tomorrow. Uh, have- podcast this morning for our subscribers where we talked a lot of stuff myself and painter sharpless so if you subscribe at auburnobserver.com you get access to all that we email it into your inbox uh, most mornings at 6 a.m central sign up auburnobserver.com justin i appreciate it my man hope you have a good afternoon yeah y'all too thank you that was justin ferguson of the auburn observer joining us here on on the line a lot of great insight there from justin and a lot of great content coming out on the Auburn Observer. Once again, that was Justin Ferguson. You're on the line with us. We'll wrap up our number one on the other side of this break here on On the Line. On the Line on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM and ESPN 1067. Wrapping up hour number one of On the Line here. Let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight before we wrap up hour number one and dive into some Tennessee quarterback talk. What? Tried to do a little digging there. We'll be back in just a moment. Let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. 
Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. CBS's Thursday sitcom lineup starts at 7 with a new episode of Young Sheldon at 7.30. It'll be the United States of Al, Mom at 8, and Be Positive at 8.30. Grey's Anatomy will have a new episode at 8 on ABC. Movie selections for tonight, throwing it back to the 80s for a wrestling movie. Vision Quest is on FS1 at 6. ESPN2 has a pair of 30 for 30s chronicling the career of Michael Vick. Part 1 and Part 2 is on starting at 6. In live sports, the NBA schedule features two games on TNT beginning at 6 with the Philadelphia 76ers at the Milwaukee Bucks. At 8.30, the Los Angeles Lakers and the Dallas Mavericks close out the night with a top 8 matchup in the Western Conference. In college baseball, the SEC has two televised games. First at 6 on SEC Network. Number 1 Arkansas and number 11 South Carolina will square off. At 7 on ESPNU, rivals LSU and number 12 Ole Miss will get their series started. I'm Noah Gardner and that's what's on TV tonight. Big thank you to Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer for joining us in that previous segment. If you missed that conversation, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Follow ESPN 106.7 on Facebook and Twitter to keep up with the latest going on at the station. The Max Roundtable on the line. The Drive with Bill Cameron. Analysis, news, and more. Seven hours of local sports talk. That's all on ESPN 106.7. Find the website on ESPNAU.com. Wrapping up hour number one here, talking about the Tennessee quarterback situation. You may be wondering why we're talking about that. Well, Michigan quarterback Joe Milton looks like he's expected to go to Tennessee or to transfer to Tennessee, that is, to join the volunteer quarterback situation. Some stories out there saying that he's yet to make that official. Knoxville News Sentinel, I believe, was the website I was on that said that they did a search into the University of Tennessee student directory and they found a Joe Milton that was admitted for summer 2021. And that indeed is out there. So I you know, I, I think it looks like it's it's almost it's all but a done deal is what it looks like for Michigan quarterback Joe Milton to be moving over to Knoxville, several states south. How would this affect the Tennessee quarterback situation when you look at some of the other guys on the roster Hendon Hooker from Virginia Tech he is he has transferred to Tennessee and he's played significant amount of snaps as a starter at Virginia Tech over the last couple of seasons and then in addition to that you also have a guy who has started games in Knoxville with Brian Maurer so you have those two players and then Joe Milton who was also a starter at Michigan so you've got Three different schools with big names that have been all equally disappointing. Probably something to do with their quarterback situations. And now all of those schools, quarterbacks have transferred to one central location at Tennessee to unite the, the league of disappointing quarterbacks. And now here we are in, in Tennessee. And that's the situation right now in Knoxville. It comes out as, you know, which one of these guys is going to beat the other one out of this They've had a little bit of a disappointing track. I liked a lot of what I saw out of Brian Maher whenever he did come in. Problem was, he kept getting hurt. Joe Milton and Hendon, Herker, and Hendon Hooker have been lightly disappointing. It just depends on what, at least in my opinion, what does Josh Hoipel, like what does he value? Does he want a more athletic quarterback who can who can add a dimension to the running game like Hendon Hooker? Or does he want Joe to Milton go? Joe Milton can too, though. Yeah, to a degree, but not. I mean, Michigan like, ran him. Is a Hinden Hooker is he's more athletic. It's, it's way more athletic. I feel like Joe Milton could come in and make some splash. The only thing that is 
I'm Why getting, Tennessee, though, for me? That's the question. Washington State, reportedly the other school, but he would be joining another quarterback from the League of Disappointing Quarterbacks, Jarek Garantano, who transferred. I believe he transferred to Washington State. I'm right on that one. Yeah, Jarek Garantano transferred to Washington State. You look like you haven't heard that before. No, 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 no. I just I, – Jarek Garantano is so bad. Like I, like, I, I But he's can't. got the talent. I, 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 I legitimately believe that he's got the skills. No, he has the physical skills. He is at he, Washington State. He just, literally, he just cannot make reads to save his life. Like, he just makes bad decisions. Like, he, his physical talent is off the chart. It's just – and that, that's what's more frustrating. That's why I'm just over here like. <sighs> so you got Milton at 6'5", 243, and you got Hooker at 6'4", 220. Hooker at Virginia Tech this past season had 1,339 yards on a 65% completion percentage, nine touchdowns, five picks. Joe Milton, much more disappointing, a 56.7% completion percentage this past year, 1,077 yards, four touchdowns, four picks in his first year of starting at Michigan in his first year getting more than seven attempts in a season so his first year of actual real playing time and he decides to leave and go to a location I just don't understand why Tennessee if you're Joe Milton I don't understand why Tennessee because there are other guys there that seem to have quicker routes to start yeah they have they're than on the, he himself it looks like they're on the fast track like these two guys have the inside track to get there and mar and hooker. Well, hooker has played better than the two hooker had another yeah. year of, he, he started two years at virginia tech he had a 61 percent completion percentage in 19 1555 yards 13 touchdowns only two picks of course obviously both of those years passing wise clear that like he was not a focal point he had 160 attempts back in 2019 in a normal year of football but and he hasn't been he hasn't been incredible, but he's been serviceable at Virginia Tech. And I think he's, he's played much better than Joe Milton did last year. Joe Milton lost his starting job at Michigan, so you know why he's transferring. But I just don't understand Tennessee on this one. I think Joe Milton just looks at it and says, you know, I've seen what Josh Hoipel has done with quarterbacks. I mean, typically quarterbacks that have come through the UCF track have been throwing the ball pretty well. They've been putting up some really good passing numbers. So, like, I could see him coming in there and saying, I got to beat out a guy who's going to be hurt half the year, and I got to beat out a guy who made who had 160 attempts last year. Let me just go ahead, go to Tennessee. I could probably be the starter. Because you got to think, a lot of these athletes, they think of themselves a lot higher than what the media and ourselves perceive them. Joe Milton's probably going into this thinking, I'm the best quarterback in here. I go down to Tennessee, I'm starting immediately. And whether that's right or wrong, he probably believes that. He probably thinks he could go in there. And if the system is as quarterback friendly as it showed it was at UCF, Joe Milton could look like a completely different quarterback. We've seen a lot of quarterbacks look bad with Jim Harbaugh. So like I, I can understand that he might be frustrated and think, I can go down here and show off. Does that work? Does that materialize? I have absolutely no idea. Still, though, the articles there are articles out there suggesting that he where that he has said that he has not made his decision yet so it may not end up being tennessee but joe milton has been closely linked to the volunteer program it's been it's been heavily reported that this is more than likely going to happen but on the flip side he he has said that he really hasn't given it much thought at the moment which kind of seems weird but you know i'm i'm going to go on the like i'm going to believe the reports and the fact that there is a joe milton but there's smoke there's fire man that's how it's been i mean there's smoke there's there's, smoke, there's something there there's something there that's it for hour number one of on the line we'll come back in just a few moments hour number two coming up 
An anonymous NFL quarterbacks coach had some high praise for Mac Jones saying that he's the most advanced quarterback in this year's draft class. Is that true? We'll talk about it. More of On the Line. You are On the Line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 106.7. Listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Hour number two of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater with you on ESPN 1067 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Also airing on Facebook. You can watch the show on Facebook at the various pages, Radio Alabama Sports, Fox Sports Central Alabama, and ESPN 1067. Packed show for you guys so far. You can find it wherever you get your podcast. If you missed any of it so far, if you ever miss a show, that's how you can go and find it. Go and locate the podcast wherever you get your podcast still just an hour through the show we got a good hour number two set up for you i tease this going into it an anonymous nfl quarterbacks coach had some high praise for mac jones stating that he is the most advanced quarterback in this year's nfl draft more so than trevor lawrence more so than justin fields more so than any of the other quarterbacks zach wilson trey lance more than any of them he says that he is more advanced not that he's necessarily the best but that he's more advanced that if you're ready to win now that mac jones is the quarterback to go after this was said to bruce feldman of the athletic and levi you have some feelings on this i want to hear your thoughts but i will say this to begin with before we get to it because i know you don't believe this to be true i think that this is this is an intriguing assessment of Mac Jones that it, it just intrigues me a little bit. I, I, I think it's an accurate, a somewhat accurate statement, and I know it's going to catch some flack from people out there considering some people have a hard time wrapping my, their minds around complex thoughts they want they want to think about it like who's the best you know yeah. and, and, and he's coming out with a little, he's coming out with a different perspective saying he's the most advanced. I also don't know, though, about Mac Jones if we've seen enough of him facing adversity to know enough about this quarterback. Truly, Mac Jones is one of the most intriguing prospects in the entire NFL draft from a talent perspective and also from a situation perspective. We just don't know enough. I don't. I don't think he's the most. Ad, I don't think he's the most advanced. But I don't. But that's not me saying that he is. That he's not advanced. Like I, if you're talking about guys who I would feel more comfortable in starting day one, day one, he's up there because from he's played with pro athletes. His college career, he played not with only pro that, athletes. but he has played with a coach. Yes, that has coached in the NFL before, not just Nick Saban, but he played under Steve Sarkeesian, and that was a large part of the argument built by this anonymous uh, anonymous coach saying that he was coached by Steve Sarkeesian. And that he supposedly, Mac Jones supposedly already understands run checks, protections up front with the offensive line, 
all all of those things that you that that you need to understand if you're going to be a starter at the next level because a quarterback is held to a much higher responsibility yes. in operating an offense at the at the NFL level than some of these other co- college quarterbacks were. Yeah, and I I believe that he does have that. He the mental and the pre-snap reads and, you know, like you said run checks, pass pro checks. I think he has that. I don't think he does it better than I don't think he's better equipped than Trevor Lawrence is at that, but I do think he is like I think he is advanced. Like I don't want this to come off. It just because you don't I'm, think he's the most advanced. Yes. Like just because I'm sitting here saying like I don't think he is the most advanced doesn't mean that I'm not sitting here also saying in terms of what what he's already gathered and what he went through at the collegiate level in terms of his coaching, the players he played around, the system he was in. I think that benefits him a lot more moving forward than some other guys the reason why I say this is so intriguing and why I said that before we even got into this conversation because I haven't heard someone say this about Mac Jones yet and it's true yeah it, it is. is true yes. and on the flip side he also brings up his physical attributes which is what holds him back I believe from being considered the best quarterback in this year's draft class above average arm strength not the best arm strength in this class I would say average to below average physical skill set among these other quarterbacks because he is the least mobile of most draft-eligible quarterbacks in this year's class. He may be the least mobile of guys that yes. get drafted among all the quarterbacks. And that that in this level of football, you have to be mobile. But I do like what he does to compensate for that. His lack of mobility, he does shift in the pocket very well. It's very... Like if you, I'm not gonna say it's like Tom Brady. It's easy to do that though when you've had the offensive line that you've had at Alabama, and that's true. That is true. We have he, not seen him face with enough pressure and adversity to know how truly how good he is I under mean, those circumstances. I've seen a lot of the times where when he has plenty of pressure up the middle, and it's it's very just light shifts. Like I said, it's it's the Tom Brady school of thought where you don't have to scramble out of the pocket. It's just a little bit of a shift to get you just in a little bit of a better position to where maybe that guy who was about to sack you, now he has to kind of go through another guy that's in his way, and it buys you an extra second or two. And in football, and especially in the NFL, that extra second or two makes all the difference. And that's something that Mac Jones does really well. I'm not um, I'm not one of those haters that think that just because he overthrew a couple balls at his pro day that he can't throw the ball with deep accuracy. Definitely I, not. I saw that in games. I saw right. him throw beautiful deep balls in Film games. Film is fact, man. Film like, is fact. It's like, okay, he overthrew, what, two balls at the pro day. He can't throw deep balls anymore. No, I saw him do that with consistency throughout the league. Is that, it that's fair, fine. though, to knock a guy because of the talent that was around him at Alabama? Is it fair to knock him and say, well, we just don't know if this guy can do it when he's faced with extreme adversity? Because he played with the best wide receivers in college football. He played with the best offensive line in college football. He played in the best offense that college football has ever seen. And a big part of that does have to do with Mac Jones. I'm not taking that away from him. He played a big part in that. But I still go back to how often did he have to dissect a defense with reads and making NFL quality throws. And I think the guy can go through his reads. There is film out there that suggests that he's able to do that. It's just more times than not, his receivers made the job very easy. Well, I also think that the scheme made it easy. Like a lot of what, at least from the film, that's that, true. From the film that I've studied, the scheme would scheme guys really open for him, which it, it helps. I mean, he seems yes. like a great fit with the yes. 49ers because when I think of 
Shanahan at the 49ers, the college equivalent of that to me is Steve Sarkeesian. Yeah, Both offensive mad scientists that are super creative and do things that other teams defensively just cannot hope to anticipate. And it's and even when you get guys schemed open, that's half of it. You still got to get the throw. And, and he, he has, made the throw. And he has time made the throws. Again. So that's what, like, I don't ever It was try, a Joe Burrow-like season. I never try to evaluate quarterbacks based off of the talent around them. I try to see what they, what their mechanics, what they look like. Does Mac Jones throw with anticipation? Yes. Does he look and read and go through his checks? Yes. Does he have above average, or does he have at least passable deep, deep ball accuracy and deep ball strength? Yes. Can he make good intermediate throws and short throws? Yes. Does he do does he do things well in the pocket in terms of shift? Yes. Does he also have great preseason snap or pre-snap reads? Yes. To me, that's the making of an NFL quarterback. Problem is, he's still like, in my opinion, I can't separate him from Fields and Lance. Like I think that I think the Zach Wilson, Fields, Lance Jones category of quarterbacks, there there's not much separating them. I have a pecking order that I like that I think where I rank these guys, but they're not. What is that pecking order? I like Zach Wilson the best. It's thin margin. Thin margin. More I, so than Trevor Lawrence. No, 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 no. Trevor Lawrence is in a class by oh. himself. No, no, no. Yeah. Trevor Lawrence is out of the question. He's the best quarterback. <laughs> He's the best quarterback prospect we've seen since Andrew Luck. Like, let's be honest. Like, that guy is the most pro ready physically and with his throws that he can make and his mechanics. So after Lawrence, who is yes, it? Zach like it's, Wilson? It's a gap. Yeah. Zach. And then who is it? Zach Wilson. Thin margin, and then it's a toss-up. It depends on what you like. I like Fields for his mobility. I think he also provides. People were. I never understood where they got this. Uh, he can't throw the ball deep as well. It was like I feel like they just said no, but I can think of like three throws throughout the season off the top of my head of him throwing darts down the field to uh, Chris Olave, and I'm just thinking, where did this notion come from? You think about the the playoff game where he's getting crushed and he throws at 40 yards on a dime, yeah. like. Okay, where does He's that come from? He's got more impressive arm strength, I would say, than Mac Jones. Th- Better physicals than Mac Jones. Here's the here's the thing that separates Mac Jones from Justin Fields and why I would put Mac Jones at the moment ahead of Justin Fields. If you're asking me right now, before these guys go to the next level, who I think is going to have a better pro career, of course, a big part of that is the situation that's that's that all, you go different. into. That is, yeah, the, Zach Wilson uh, might have the worst career because he's going to yeah, the Jets. The guy that I think is ready most ready for the next level is Mac Jones and I think he's a better prospect than Justin Fields why because Justin Fields played with the same level of offensive talent around him in a weaker conference and he still struggled throughout he 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 didn't dominate he didn't dominate and I am going to dock a guy for not dominating with that level of talent around him we've talked about this in terms of 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 Ohio State football they they do not they did not dominate with Justin Fields at quarterback. I mean, that's a fair assumption. Didn't I just, look great against Northwestern. I just never dominated Clemson. Didn't look that great against uh, against Alabama. Yeah, I mean, I that's I don't they, ever they really... played on the same field against each other. That's and Matt true. Jones picked it apart. I mean, that's true. But um, and like I like Justin Fields. I think Justin Fields is the safer option. Um, if I was picking, and I, if I was the 49ers picking at three, and you have Trevor Lawrence. And Zach Wilson gone. Justin Fields is the safer option, but I probably wouldn't even go with that. I'd probably still take Trey Lance. I like the upside that the guy has. And when you're running the NFL, you're running your draft. It's different than evaluating. Like I could sit here and say I like Fields right now coming out more than Trey Lance, but Trey Lance has the upside. 
You you run the shoot. You 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 gamble. If it pays off, you got a guy who looks like Josh Allen. If it fails, you're right back up at the top, and you're going to have another pick for another pro quarterback. That's how the NFL operates. The worst you can ever do is be eight and eight, or I guess now eight and nine. You never want to be middling around there because you don't get better unless you get free agents. So if you miss on a quarterback, okay, cool. Two years later, I'll go try to get another one. Where do you think Mac Jones goes in the draft? It looks like he's going three. It like, like you think so? The, you believe that? All the smoke that I'm seeing, it's saying that he's going to three. I feel like the 49ers are go- going to pull some sort of. It, it, he looks like a San Francisco 49ers quarterback to that's, me. That's what I'm saying. Like he, it, it looks lo- like a New England Patriots quarterback to me as well because I do see the comparisons that you're making about Tom Brady. I've, I've yeah, been saying just, that since the fall. I said, y'all, y'all watch this. Just watch him in the pocket. He's going to end up in New England. Go if you if you're talented enough or have two monitors or whatever you want to do, just go like put some of their tapes side by side, and you can see that Mac Jones definitely draws inspiration from how he operates in the pocket from Tom Brady, especially with like his footwork and how he shifts around. Like it's 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 crazy. But neither to look of them at. possess like top level no. arm talent either or physical traits no and ath- they still made it work because no great athleticism tom brady made it work because of the cerebral side of the game he's the most he's the best quarterback in between in between his helmet he's the best quarterback in the game still at that level nobody can outthink and outplay no. tom brady mentally in a football game tom brady can only beat himself which as he gets older we do see tom brady throwing more and more picks losing losing football games arm arm strings lacking and uh yep. it's his brain is writing checks that that arm can't cash anymore <laughs> like he sees it he's like oh that's 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 where i should go but his arm just doesn't have it anymore i would say he doesn't have it no, anymore it, but it's, to make it, those, it's like it is getting when you make an, a read on an out older route, when you make a read on an out route that you've thrown your whole career and you're like oh i throw it right now that's an easy completion for 10 yards doesn't have just as much zip on it. It doesn't mean that he doesn't have good arm strength. It's just doesn't have quite the same zip, and that's when you see a lot of pick sixes happen for him. Because he did have a couple of games this year where, where his arm talent failed. He him. had one at the the beginning of the yeah. season against the Saints. He threw a pick six in that game trying like to throw There was one beginning, middle, and end. Yeah. The, the Buccaneers were a streaky team this year. Yeah. Win five games in a row, lose lose a couple where they don't look that great, and then win some more, and then lose a couple more, and then they were hot going into the postseason, which well, is where even, you bet on the guy. And they really <laughs> didn't even look good going into the postseason. They played not great against the football team. They didn't play great against the Saints, but then they played really good against the Packers. Or they got by the Packers despite some you know turnovers and whatnot, and then they go in and they're like, hey, we've played pretty badly throughout this postseason and have looked good despite not playing our best football. And then they just turned it on and were like, hey, let's play our best football right now. And you saw what happened in the Super Bowl. Mac Jones is that kind of guy, though. Like Mac Jones can make those type of plays that Tom Brady can make. The other side of this break, we talk Auburn baseball staying undefeated in midweek games with a walk-off winner against Jacksonville State. Also, what else is going on in SEC baseball? You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. We'll be right back. Hour number two of On the Line here. Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater with you with about 45 minutes left in the show until the drive with Bill Cameron. Follow Fox Sports Central Alabama on Facebook. Keep up with the latest going on in sports. On the Line, the drive with Bill Cameron, analysis, news, and more all on Fox Sports Central Alabama on foxsports983.com and on Facebook. That's foxsports983.com. Auburn baseball last night staying undefeated in midweek games this season with a walk-off winner 
against Jacksonville State. Tyler Miller in the bottom of the 10th, allowing everybody to go home and get a good night's rest. I went to bed before this game ended. I didn't. That should tell you something. Well, well of course. <laughs> yeah, I Even mean, with the back brace, you're not getting sleep at night. The back brace has made it worse. Yeah. I have to sleep flat on my back. I have three options. If anybody That's watching, how I sleep, though. If for anybody watching on Facebook, I have three options, one of which is flat on my back. One is flat on your stomach, I would assume. I can just turn my head two different oh. ways. I can't move outside of flat on my back, but I can turn my head to the side. So and that's you it. have to sleep flat on your back. I'm sure I could probably do something else, but I haven't actually asked the doctor yet <laughs> if I can. Um, I'm just going to keep rolling with it because I know that that's a, I know the way I'm sleeping is healthy for my recovery. So I'm not going to try to chance yeah. it with anything else because the sooner I get this uh, bad boy off, the better. Hey, man, you, you, you got the flat jacket on. If I'm, uh, if I'm playing Call of Duty, I'm bringing you with me. I, I look like a PlayStation <laughs> 1 character. Like, I'm so jagged in That's my chest so area. Like, I look like an old video game, like N64 PS1 character over here. That's good. Tyler Miller last night had the most at-bats of any Tiger. He had six, went three for six at the plates, and totaled up two RBI, including the one to score the game-winning run last night. Auburn defeating Jacksonville State 8-7. to seven. Seven different Tiger pitchers towed the rubber last night. Joseph Gonzalez going the longest in relief. He was the fourth player to come out for Auburn. He had 3.1 innings pitched, only giving up three hits, no runs allowed off of those three hits. And he struck out three batters. So Gonzalez bringing his ERA down a bit. But Mason Barnett got the start. Not shocked to see that he only went one inning because you need that guy for the weekend, possibly in two games for the weekend. But Mason Barnett got the start. He pitched an inning, no hits, no runs, and a strikeout. Fanned all three batters. And then to the bullpen we go. Brooks Fuller, Sepp Thomas, Joseph Gonzalez, Nate LaRue. Making his, make his debut. That's right. A catcher turned pitcher because Auburn needs the arms. You know, I, I make this joke that Auburn would ask a fan to go and pitch, which is not true, but they asked a catcher to do it. Like Burke Halter. And then Cam Hill with that 21.94 ERA. Got and, the that, win. and that number came down after last night because just the walk, no hits, no runs come across to score. He gets the W with one inning pitched. Still just that astronomical 21.94 ERA. You got to love it. Got to love it. But he did hey, get the win. He got a win and brought it down. It's like the opposite of uh, DeGrom where you have, like a, you have an abysmally high ERA and you still got to win. And then you have DeGrom who gets nothing. And yeah, losing record, but minuscule. He, he has like a .8 or .9 ERA and this a terrible win-loss record because the Mets' bats have been so bad and so bad to him. So Auburn on the year now, moving on up. They have been good against non-conference teams, even beating Georgia Tech a week ago. Auburn has been good in the non-conference. has been when you get to SEC play, and a big part of that has been the bullpen. Where do the Tigers go from here? Well... They stay put in Plainsman Park. Three-game series coming up against the Florida Gators, who have been on a bit of a tear recently. Six-game win streak, including W's over Tennessee, Florida State, a sweep over Missouri, and then uh, beating Jacksonville this week on Tuesday, 8-7 to seven as well, just like Auburn beat Jacksonville State. But Florida 9-6 and six in the conference, climbing the standings. They were doing a lot better 
before they took on because they took two out of three from Ole Miss and then they come back the next weekend and they lose two out of three to Tennessee who is still battling at the top of the SEC standings Florida very much so going to present some stiff opposition look we can write this any way we want to when it comes down to Auburn baseball it comes down to can they close out victories when you have the lead after the sixth seventh inning there's a big reason why what are they like two and eight or something like that in one run sec games at this point it's a big reason and it has to do with the bullpen and if the season's going to turn around we've been saying this every weekend it's got to start now it's got to start now and you really you really are running out of real estate at this point this this is the last weekend we can say that like you if you lose this series this weekend i don't think you're like you can do anything else like i think that this is the weekend like you have to get you have to win this series this weekend if you even want a a small glimmer, a small chance of doing anything in the postseason. Like if you want to be invited into the postseason, you have to win the series this weekend. Well, statistically, Auburn has to win every series and sweep at least one to try and get yes. to thirteen wins. And that's in kind of that, and that's kind of that number that we're looking at right now. And thirteen, you really in the past, you don't feel great about your postseason yeah. opportunities. It's the Typically, it's about fourteen or hit five hundred. I say thirteen because maybe the selection committee would view Auburn highly with some series wins, notably over ranked teams like Florida and Georgia. And then if you took a sweep against somebody, I mean that that's a dominant run in conference play and especially to end the year because you go into it and they're like this team is you can view it as this team is much better now than they were at the beginning of the year and maybe you give them a break for what happened at the start because of the schedule the schedule was brutal possibly the toughest conference schedule out of any team in all of college baseball to begin this year and I know we play a lot of the same SEC opponents but it was the order in which that Auburn had to face those opponents and Florida's beatable they've been swept this year they Lost two out of three recently to Tennessee, but they were swept by South Carolina. Miami took two out of three against them. They are a beatable team, and you've got them at home. Auburn's been competitive no matter how talented the team. Auburn has been competitive. It all comes down to if the bullpen can can lock them out, can bar the door. Can yeah, can the can bullpen you keep, can you keep the enemy out? Can the bullpen stop? It's also good that you go into this series with your first two game winning streak since. Arkansas Little Rock. Arkansas Little Rock was the last time they won two games back to back. So, like, I mean, you're going into this game for the first time in a long time, winning two straight. Maybe you got a little bit of confidence because you kind of, let's be honest, you kind of escaped from Jacksonville State last night with the way you have to approach the game because you have two midweek games. You got a series this weekend. You didn't want to exhaust any arms. So, you kind of had to just do a committee approach. I mean, if you, if you didn't catch that from LaRue pitching last night, and you feel good that you were able to get out of there with you know with a win despite having one inning pitch, one inning pitch, one inning pitch, you know, two thirds inning pitch, one inning pitch, two innings pitch, three point one innings, three and a third innings pitch. Like you have a lot of guys. It's it's the ultimate pitching by committee approach in the midweek. You didn't drop the game, you still came out and won. You got two straight, and you know that you have to win the series this weekend. So you come in with a little bit more confidence than you had beforehand. And you're at home, and Auburn has yes, played better. very well at home. And Auburn has played so much better. It's just become kind of a joke about whether or not they can close out a ball game considering your 2-8 and one-run SEC games. Looking at Florida statistically, just a brief little run over their scouting report. We'll go more in-depth on it tomorrow. This is one of the more hittable teams, I think you would say. You look at Florida's team ERA, a 3.88 
collective group there for Florida. Opponents are batting just 227 against them, but that does factor in, of course, non-conference games and whatnot. The 3.88 ERA gives me hope that Auburn at the plate with the way that they've been hitting it hasn't mattered the team Auburn's been able to at least plate somewhere around five runs a game in conference play most years that's enough for for a Butch Thompson coach team to get some serious W's but once again the bullpen that is where it has failed you you now see Cody Greenhill move back to the pen for Auburn to provide some relief there Mason Barnett's back there you wonder if the starters take a hit but I think Auburn at this point's like look it doesn't matter how how well our starters pitch because the bullpen's lost it for us. So you have to now bar you the door have on to, that front. But you have to move those guys to the bullpen because it's been so bad. But and Auburn's going to have to bring the bats this weekend as well. Oh, 100%. Like, you're going to have to. You have to it's hit this weekend. It's still one of the more hittable teams, and that's I would good. say. And you that's look good. at starting pitching amongst this Florida staff this year. You look at some of the starters and their appearances and whatnot. The main guys who have made starts, you got Hunter Barco, 4.7 ERA. He's made the most starts out of any Florida pitcher second most starts Tommy Mace he's got a 3.78 ERA Jack Leftwich at 3.02 the best of those group of starters and then also Garrett Milchin who's got a 4.98 ERA those are the guys who have made starts this year or at least the most starts there's another couple guys who have made one start each but those are the guys that have made the most starts for this Florida team and nobody below three That'll tell you something because you look at the Mississippi State staff and they're like, all of our guys have below three R three ERA. Do you even pitch, bro? Like I feel like they're <laughs> they're like the do you even lift? Like, ooh, like they're, you know? <laughs> yes. They're that guy. They're the bragging guy. Mississippi State's got uh, you know, elite pitching, and Auburn was he still able to somewhat plate some runs in that series. Look at this Florida this Florida group. They they're, they're hittable. They're, they are more hittable than some of the other teams that they have faced. Now at the plate, they are one of the better offensive teams in this league at a two eighty four collective team batting average and at the top of that group you got nathan hickey who has seven home runs that's third on the team in that category 38 rbis that leads the team the next closest guy has 30 so he leads the team with eight more rbis than everybody else he's tied at the top with doubles with 12 he's got a triple on the air 48 hits that's second on the team in that category the guy can hit the baseball he's, he's accrued the most walks his on base percentage at 483 so you're looking at a guy in Nathan Hickey who's going to provide some serious opposition, but you go up and down the Gator lineup right now, there are a total of five players that are batting above 300. Auburn is not in that category, but and then some of their other guys are batting in the in the high 200s. So they got two guys above 290 as well in that group. So this Florida lineup's also deadly. You better bring your bats this weekend if you're Auburn, because there, there there should be a lot of runs scored if, if I had to guess. And and keep the bull and the bullpen has to play like you have to. Got to bar the door. Got to do better. On the other side of this break, we continue to rank our top three springs in the SEC. We revisit that conversation, getting to our top two on the other side of this break. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Number to call, 334-321-1390. That's how you can get through to On the Line, 334-321-1390. Just thought I'd bring up some interesting golf talk here. Of course, it's the SEC Championship at Sea Island Golf Club. Man, to be able to golf next to the ocean, that would be 
spectacular. Being but able to golf today in general sounds nice. That's true. Today's a nice day. I, you know, Jacob Hillman came by the studio today, and uh, we were getting some of the equipment back today. There was a Lee Scott broadcast earlier this week, and I was getting some equipment. I was just talking to him. And he's a good golfing buddy of mine, and um, I was like, hey, man, when do you want to play golf again? And he was like, well, today would have been a great day. And it's like, that, that is true. That is true. I'm ready to do anything physical. I'm not. Oh, I feel so I, bad. I can't do any golfing right now. Do I you can, golf much, Levi? Not much. Uh, I, you like you like to go out there when you can, but my my busy schedule doesn't allow me to golf as much as I would like to. I typically could have one day, and that'd be Sunday. But my wife said, "Take me to the beach, and we will go golf." And hey, you know, that's a fair trade. You get, to go, to fair be- trade. You get to go to the beach, and you get to go golf. I mean, that's a good point. Let's be honest. It's a lot of money. A lot of money. Uh, a lot true. of money. You're talking, yeah. That's Especially been... by the beach. A lot of money. Oh, for sure. For sure. A lot <laughs> of money. To golf at the beach. A lot of money. It's already enough to, it's already, it's already a decent amount both here of our, on, on yeah. the mainland. But it's already expensive enough to go golf up here for a day. But uh, yeah, go by the beach and you're going to be spending a lot of money. SEC Championship, though. It's that tournament. Alabama had a crazy good day today by every other team's standards because Alabama was the only team to go under par today. They went three under. They skyrocketed up the leaderboard. They're all the way up to first now when they were sitting at seventh yesterday. Auburn was at sixth. They have moved up a spot in the standings, but they had a substantially worse day today than they did yesterday. Yesterday, they were two over par today, five over par, so they have moved now to for a collective total in the tournament seven over but they still sit in fifth the teams ahead of them once again Alabama at the top as a team they are one over par Arkansas at four over Georgia at five over who had a brutal day for the team that was three under yesterday and they they were three under yesterday or two under yesterday leading the leading the tournament they were the only team under par they go 10 over today to drop two spots to third on the leaderboard LSU at also tied for third with uh, being a total of five over par as well. So you, you look at that group at the top of the SEC tournament for the men's golf championship there. How's Mississippi State doing? Yeah, we and you were joking off air. 24 over today, man. 35 over across the whole tournament. Rough day. Rough couple. Of, rough tournament. But they're not last. Oh, who's last? I Ole thought they were last when you told me that. Their Mississippi counterpart, Ole Miss, is last. But they were just 18 over today, and they sit at 37 over for the tournament. So they don't golf much in Mississippi. I'm, that's what I'm taking away from this. You don't do a lot of golfing out no, in the Mississippi that, lands. That's not necessarily your takeaway there. It's not that they don't golf much. It's that they're currently not golfing well. That's they may golf fair. a lot and not be very good at it. That's, fair. that's the boat I'm in. I golf a lot. I'm not very good at it. Yeah, I mean, me too. I mean, I don't do it a lot, but I'm also not good at it either. So, so that's what's going on in the SEC Men's Golf Championship. It's going down there in... Uh, St. Simons Island, Georgia, for the seaside golf course that they're playing at. That man, that just that that I've often thought like, because I'm getting better. I'm not bad. I only started playing really a couple years ago. Really taking an interest in it. I played baseball growing up my whole life, so I'm trying to work out those tendencies, and that's not helpful because there's a lot of things in baseball that definitely hurt you when you get to your golf game. Uh, I'm yeah. still working those things out, but. Um, 
I, I definitely dream of the day where like I'm I'm good and then I'll really enjoy myself playing. I, I understand that because I played basketball growing up and trying to get out of the tendencies. Like I'll see the golf ball on the ground and I'll pick it up and try to throw it into the, the hole and I'm just like <laughs> That's ridiculous. Like I can't do it. Like it's just crazy. Like I it's hard to get that part out of my head. Or I start funny. bouncing it off the green and everybody's like, What are you doing? Like wrong sport, <laughs> you, sorry. And you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do that. Don't mess up the green, man. Don't mess up the green. And, and, and fix your divots, okay? Fix your divots out there. But let's go back to ranking the top three springs in the SEC here. Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater with you on the line. You gave your third team, which is Arkansas. I've yet to give my third team, and they didn't even make your list entirely. The Florida Gators, for me, added some serious, serious talent through the transfer portal, which gets them in the top three for me. First of all, former five-star running back Demarcus Bowman coming from Clemson to Florida. They bring in a high-profile running back to bolster a backfield that has been good, not great. They've had good running backs, but nobody with like show-stopping talent. This guy has show-stopping talent. This is possibly the best transfer into the SEC in terms of star rating out of high school. It's one of the few five-stars to enter the SEC from a different program major news on that front for florida when he announced that then on top of that they also bring in of course daquan newkirk on the defensive side of the football that's going to help them out in replacing some of the players that they're sending to the nfl draft for me it was more about what florida added than more about what they did on the field for me they brought in some serious some serious help in areas where they're losing some talent and now they have been able to replace that the big question for florida of course which we don't know enough about now is Emory Jones as a quarterback because I've never been impressed with this guy as a passer he can run the football he's an athlete but I've never been impressed with him as a passer in his role in the offense although it has increased what you've seen him do when he has came out on the field or when he has come out on the field it has run the football you've expected it better I get Kyle Frazier like usage vibes and then when he starts it's not going to go well not saying that he's as bad as Kyle Frazier was that of course not so I should be careful with that type of comparison but similar to how Kyle Frazier's usage increased while he was on campus but used in the way of just running the football and everybody knew that was happening Emory Jones has been the same situation we just don't know if this guy can make the throws necessary to make Florida a legitimate contender in the SEC East a big reason why I think there's a massive gap between Florida and some of the other SEC teams than those teams there's a massive there's a gorge and between them and Georgia. Georgia right now looks like a runaway in the SEC East. And so I, I have my concerns with Florida, but I like the talent that they brought to place around Emory Jones. I think they're still going to have a good defense, and I think they've got an athlete at quarterback that Dan Mullen's going to be able to figure out how to get the most I mean, out of. He's a, he's a quarterback whisperer. I mean, Tebow didn't throw the ball particularly well, so I mean... Uh, he, he was he was pretty good though at the college level he didn't throw it very well i mean mechanics were flawed he had accuracy that's, issues that's so. different though he he accrued the yards it, it worked he may have not have, it may that's, have but that's what i'm saying like i think that dan mullen can do that with emory jones i think he can use him and get him to you know he Tebow get, was like a three thousand plus yard passer there i don't think emory jones qualifies for that yeah, you throw a lot of screens you throw I a lot still of don't think he you throw a lot there. of screens to percy harvin that's and what that can helps get you, that that's what can get you to like 2500 i think if you're Amy Jones, like I, I don't see him being a better passer than Bo Nix at this point. Nobody's talking about Amber Jones being one of the best passers in this no, league. No, and I mean, and he's been on campus for forever. I'm not going to say he's going to be one of the best passers. I'm just saying that I think his stats will look just fine by the end of this year because of 
the system that he plays in is coaching Dan Mullen. I've seen I've seen Dan Mullen get usage out of guys who I didn't think threw the ball particularly well, just schemed guys open, made the throws easier for his guys, made shorter throws, was able to run a lot of screen you know, a lot of screen passes. I think his you know, I think his stats will look better than probably what his mechanics might suggest unless unless he did take a a large step forward this year in his passing and that's something that we haven't seen I think I was a little bit more down on Florida than I probably should have been I think that with when you talk about everything they brought in and with this you know Schrodinger's cat of Emory Jones that we don't know what he's going to do in the passing game I think it's fair the way you looked at it though because you looked at it in terms of improvement I think Florida State, as a team, I think collectively Florida's a worse football team this year than they were last year. Oh, of course, I mean, Florida sure. made it to the good, SEC championship last year. And gave Alabama one of the closest games, you know, one of the two, the closest game towards the end of it. But and I'm talking about in terms of entering the offseason and then leaving spring right now, Florida has done things in terms of adding talent to help make them better than where they went into it. I, you know, I've talked, you know, Lance on the show a lot. We haven't had him on in a little bit. We need to get him back on. But Lance is high up on Missouri this year. And I like that Missouri football team. Their the schedule, talent's coming back. Their schedule's very their schedule's favorable it's for easy. them as well. It's easy, and I wouldn't be shocked if they were able to pull an upset against Florida. I'm not sure if they're playing Florida at home or not. If they do have Florida at home, I wouldn't be shocked if that upset happens. My The big drawback on Missouri for me, and I know you're going to look that up right now, the big right. drawback on Missouri right now for me, and while I do like Connor Bazelak, and I think he showed us some good things, I think he showed us he was a better passer than Emory Jones last year. <laughs> you know, But the big drawback for Missouri for me is the talent everywhere else. Is it enough to make sure that Missouri wins every 50-50 game on their schedule? And I think the answer to that question is no. You look at their schedule, I think they're better than 10 teams on their schedule. But will they win every single one of those games where they're, they're a little bit closer with some of those teams? No. And they might finish like eight and four or seven and five because of that, especially if coaching plays a part in that, or maybe they just don't, maybe they just get some bad breaks, some bad bounces here and there that can affect your season. We thought that that team several years ago that Kelly Bryant was going to, that that Missouri team was a shoe in to go eight and zero before they really got into the thick of some of the better teams on their schedule. That didn't happen, and I think. You're looking at Missouri in the same light this year, and I'm not going to get burned by that again. But I, I do don't like forget this. it's Missouri. I would not be shocked. It's also in that Florida game is in Columbia. There's the a clump of three teams after Georgia in Missouri, Kentucky, and Florida that I would not be shocked if one of those two schools finished ahead of Florida, whether it be Missouri or Kentucky. Honestly, I wouldn't be too stunned if Florida had a really down year this year and somehow Kentucky and, and Missouri found a way to finish ahead of them. If things went really bad for Florida at the quarterback position this year I would not be stunned if Missouri and Kentucky finished ahead of them in the standings I don't think that happens I, I still think Florida's yeah. second in the east but I would not be stunned if Missouri and Kentucky really pushed Florida this year I still think it's Florida in second place like at the end of the year I still think they're going to do it I wouldn't be surprised if when it's all said and done and this has nothing to do with Florida this has nothing this just has nothing to do with Florida and the team that they're putting out I wouldn't be surprised if they ended up upsetting what I think is the better team in the SEC East in Georgia because that's what Georgia tends to do is choke away the big games, and I've yet to see them do that yet. Not do that, by the way. We wrap up the show on the other side of this break. 15 minutes left of On the Line. On the Line on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM and ESPN 106.7. 
Wrapping up the show here on On The Live, we've got about eight minutes left in the show, and then 12 minutes till The Drive with Bill Cameron. Before we wrap up the show here, let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. CBS's Thursday sitcom lineup starts at 7 with a new episode of Young Sheldon at 7.30. It'll be the United States of Al, Mom at 8, and Be Positive at 8.30. Grey's Anatomy will have a new episode at 8 on ABC. Movie selections for tonight, throwing it back to the 80s for a wrestling movie. Vision Quest is on FS1 at 6. ESPN2 has a pair of 30 for 30s chronicling the career of Michael Vick. Part 1 and Part 2 is on starting at 6. In live sports, the NBA schedule features two games on TNT beginning at 6 with the Philadelphia 76ers at the Milwaukee Bucks. At 8.30, the Los Angeles Lakers and the Dallas Mavericks close out the night with a top 8 matchup in the Western Conference. In college baseball, the SEC has two televised games. First at 6 on SEC Network. Number 1 Arkansas and number 11 South Carolina will square off. At 7 on ESPNU, rivals LSU and number 12 Ole Miss will get their series started. I'm Noah Gardner and that's what's on TV tonight. Finishing up our ranking system of the top three springs in the SEC, and we're down to one and two, and I'll just let the cat out of the bag. We have the same two teams, different order. Now we're going to argue who had the best spring, Georgia or Alabama. And, I, you know, honestly, maybe we don't argue here. Maybe we have the same rankings here. I've thought about it more since yesterday, and I, we didn't even reveal this yesterday, but I do believe it comes down to these two teams, Alabama and Georgia. Some of these guys on Georgia's football team, they're built different. They're, they're built different. They're built big. They are huge. You got athletes over there. I still think Alabama had the better spring, and it's not just built around it's not just built around that they look better than Georgia. And maybe even Georgia had a had a more robust and a more refined spring than Alabama I think Alabama I, I take that back Alabama had the best had the best spring in terms of looking the best coming out of the spring as well but Georgia lost a lot of talent to transfers and I mean they lost a lot of talent to transfers but that's what had me and they only brought back one player or they yeah. only added one player out of the transfer portal now Alabama didn't add anybody out of the transfer portal at least scored a 24-7 sports transfer portal Alabama didn't bring anybody in but and they saw a lot leave too but Alabama seems to feel really and, and we're just comfortable with Alabama knowing that they'll be able to reload reload but also the guys who are going to start at Alabama aren't leaving so like the guys that are uh, Alabama comes out and I'm having a hard time hitting a hole with this Alabama team I'm, I'm having a hard time locating where I have an issue with this football team next year anywhere other than just saying well they've got some inexperience at quarterback and it's might maybe it'll take some time for him to link up with new wide receivers you're trying to reach like that's you forcing yourself to reach the, on like, that one like they're going to they, they, they've got to replace some offensive linemen they've got to replace a quarterback and some receivers and a running back yes they have to replace several players like at every position group on the offensive side of the ball Alabama has to replace somebody but they've done it every year and so at it's, this yeah, point I'm like kind of like that's why you're not worried about that i i came away a but little the bit defense looks better than than i expected it to that was something that really caught my eye with them was i saw that the defense looked better and i like georgia coming out of the spring better i like what georgia what i saw from them because i expected alabama to look like this i expected bryce young to come in and look well i expected john mechie to look good but can I, you dock him for that i can't but i didn't expect 
I, I still had questions about what JT Daniels was going to do, especially with having to find some new receivers. But it's still just the spring, though. But that's what we're ranking. We're ranking uh, just yeah, the spring. That, that's that's what I'm point. saying. I'm ranking just the spring. I liked what I saw out of Georgia in terms of they impressed me more because I had lower expectations for them. I expected Alabama to look the way they did, and they – I can't dock. I'm not docking them for it because I'm not they, gonna lie. I was watching. Uh, I would flip to the Georgia spring yeah. game and I'd see some giant human being make a play on the ball, whether it be like their tight end, Washington. Oh my goodness! Yes. The and guy. I, the guy looks like. Uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, of the, the, there was that Baylor defensive end who was oh, jacked a yeah, long Sean, time ago. Sean Oakman. Yeah, yeah and he's probably guy. not the best player for me to for me to bring up considering his the the history that surrounded him at Baylor. But well, I think nonetheless, most, I'm talking about like jacked guys. Like Georgia's got some dudes who are jacked. Yeah, I mean they have a lot of guys who are like you said, built different. And does that necessarily translate to being great at football? No, it doesn't always. But it helps when you got some big dudes on the side of the you know when, on your side of the football on your team when you got big dudes, it helps out a lot. I, I don't want it to get misconstrued that I think that Georgia's team is better than Alabama. I'm not saying that. I think There's Alabama. There's some people out there that would say that, though. And, and that's what I'm saying. Like, I know that there is a, there are, there's a sect of people who believe that. I don't personally believe that. I think this Alabama team is better than Georgia. I just like what they did in the spring. Just so I can clarify for anybody out there who might have misunderstood what I was saying. I like that I saw, I had questions about Georgia going into this spring. And they answered a lot of those questions for me. They, have, they do have some problems at line. Their offensive line looked a little bit shaky at times throughout that spring game. But Alabama, I expected them to look like this. So I'm not penalizing for it because obviously they're my number two team. I think they're the best team not only in the SEC but in the co- or in the country right now going into next year. And they did what I expected them to do. And uh, they're going to reload. They do it every year. Bryce Young's going to come out looking fine. You got a Jai Hall. He looked good. Mechie looks good. The thing that's... Probably Defense the most better. scary about Alabama, though, is that Bryce Young is going to get better as the year yeah. goes on. Like he's going to be better than what we saw, and that's yeah. that's what's scary. I mean, I mean, I, I mean, he's going woo. to get better than what you will see in the first four weeks of the season. He oh, will be yeah. exponentially better as the year goes on, as he links up with those receivers that are already showing, like Ajay Hall, showing their ability to be just top of the league receivers again. Alabama does it every year in terms of recruiting. That's why that's why it shows up that way. On the stat sheet, you're in a year out that they have some of the best receivers in college football. Georgia, I feel like, and we don't have enough time here, and maybe this is a topic for another day, but there seems to be a lot of what I call, well, yeah, I mean, it's a real concept, but groupthink going on with Georgia, which is basically the idea and in, in the, the communication theory that if they're like if one group kind of rises yes. to the top and everybody just kind of buys into it without really thinking about it out of fear of ostracization or, or or without you know out of fear that you're going to be left out that you want to be a part of the the collective rather than thinking on your own and coming up with your own idea because you don't want to receive flack for it so i'm going to step out here and I, i'm a little i'm a little bothered by the fact that everybody's drinking the georgia kool-aid this year it bothers me a little bit that everybody is buying into Georgia being a real national championship contender this season because outside of one season where they actually made the college football playoff national championship, how dangerous has Georgia really been? Because they really have not been able to to get past Alabama, and I don't know if they've shown us something recently. I mean, of course, you, you look back at that SEC championship where they were leading for so long and that Jalen Hurts takes it out from underneath them, but you look at last season and they get blown out. 
So more recently, and and they were leading. I mean, they were pretty much handling that game early on as well, and then they kind of blew it around the stretch. That's that's the same concerns. And is JT Daniels the the deciding factor in this? Because Bama's got a great quarterback too. That's why I said I could see them losing to Florida because that's what Georgia does. That'll be a topic for another day. Is the is the UGA hype real, or are people just buying into it? The drive with Bill Cameron on the other side of this break. It's coming up. That does it for another edition of On the Line. We'll be back tomorrow. You know where to find us.